As I was closing up for the night, I thought about all the movies that had been discussed in the spoiler room. That was when the temperature in the room changed. I went to the thermostat and it said it was 52 degrees KB. Suddenly I found myself in a maze of movie posters. No matter what direction I went, each path led me back to one actor, Kevin Bacon. That was when it was clear what I had to do. When I snapped out of it, I added bacon to the menu. 2020 was going to be an interesting year in the spoiler room. And welcome everyone once again to the spoiler room. Yes, 52 degrees KB. We're getting into the summer, but the temperature has not changed here. Thank you for coming down the stairs, pulling up a chair and joining us. And tonight, once again, I am joined by a fantastic crew member to talk about a film that is definitely outside my wheelhouse. We're talking about Dead Men Walking. I'll let you know how it was connected to our other film, though you'll probably guess real easy with this one. <laughs> last week that we talked about the client he was there last week he's back again always welcome hello ian how are you sir i'm doing great mark how are you oh we're doing well and uh yeah tonight we're talking dead men walking 1995 and it stars susan sarandon and sean penn so there you go there's the link to our last week's film which was the client um and yeah you want to give the summary of dead man walking ian you do these so well um, well, I'll see if I can get these names right. Um, it is, <laughs> it's based on a true story, or uh, the book written by Sister Helen Prejean, um, who is a nun working in. Is this? I th I feel like we're in the same territory as we were in the client. Is this New Orleans that we're talking about, or Tennessee, or? It's. Um, I'm geographically illiterate, so it doesn't I, really matter. I, it's I I'm horrible with it too, but it is. Yeah, I think it's. It's in a similar area, I think. I think it's Tennessee. Um, uh, yeah, I believe it's Tennessee where it is. So, Wouldn't it be wonderful if this story took place like a couple of towns over from the client? So you've got this like weird Susan Sarandon <laughs> cinematic universe. Um, no, so Sister, <laughs> Sister Helen Brejean, uh is a nun who lives and works uh, in sort of the... Uh, a lower class uh, community um, helping out like uh, you know, poor African-American uh, families. And she gets uh, a letter one day from a death row inmate named Matthew Ponsolet, played by Ch uh, Sean Penn. Uh, and basically he's on death row for having participated in a double homicide and, and rape of this young couple. And he just kind of wants to talk to uh someone uh, to, to hear a story and uh, she goes to visit him and um, there's nothing really that she can do to, to get him off of death row. Uh, he's sentenced to die uh, within, I think, six days as the story really mm -hmm. gets going. Um, and she becomes his spiritual advisor, which we come to find out is unprecedented that a, that a woman is allowed to be the spiritual advisor to a death row inmate. I don't know if that's supposed to be in terms of the United States history or just you know the locale where they are. But uh, it's about their kind of rough bonding, not rough bondage, but rough bonding <laughs> uh, during that last week of his life. Um, she talks to the victims' family, families, uh, gets their side of the story. There's some you know, controversy in the community about her helping someone that is, uh, in a lot of ways, rightfully so, seen as a monster. But she really does try and dig into the humanity of this guy and uh, ultimately 
attempt to save his soul because she's advised by the the chaplain of the uh, the prison that if if he can if Ponsolet can confess or at least accept Jesus before he dies he's got a chance of not going to hell. Now that sounds kind of supernatural but I mean we're we're talking more of a, a philosophical type of movie. So uh yeah, I had actually seen this 25 years ago when it first came out. Uh, I have pretty much no memory of it. So watching it again today was practically a brand new experience. Um, I don't remember why I didn't care for it as much when I first saw it, probably cause I was 17. I didn't give a crap about like these old people issues, but, uh, <laughs> now, yeah. especially as a parent, I mean, there are some scenes in this movie. Uh, there's four of them that I wrote down, uh, that absolutely just wrecked me. I mean, I'm yeah. sitting in my basement watching this movie on a laptop and bawling my eyes out. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a terrific movie written and directed by Tim Robbins, who is adapting um, the sister uh, Helen Prejean's book. Uh, very different from the other stuff that he did. I think right before this, he did a movie that I think I've recommended to you called uh, Bob Roberts, which is a, mm-hmm. a political satire, also featuring a young Jack Black, uh, <laughs> which is a, it's, it's a political satire comedy farce, and this is anything but. Um, yeah. it's a very powerful movie and, um, yeah, I was spoiler alert. I was impressed. <laughs> uh, it was one that, uh, again, not in my wheelhouse. Part of the reason I was doing this project is to watch films outside my wheelhouse. I, it's not that I'm opposed to dramas. I'm just more drawn to the genre films rather than dramatic films, more escapism because mm-hmm. there's just a lot of drama in life. And so that, you know, but I'm not opposed to these and I agree. Yeah. It, it is a very solid film. There's, it's definitely a character and story driven piece. It, there's, there's no action. Well, there are, there is eventually the graphic depiction of, of the crime that was committed, uh, by, uh, uh, his, uh, Sean Penn's character and, uh, another character that uh, they were with uh, on the night that the crime happened. So you do get glimpses of those until the very end, but overall there's not a lot happening. It's just more of a character piece, much less you you basically stick with uh, the sister throughout the film, Mm -hmm. even when, which, which I was thinking about after watching it, because after watching it, I started chewing on it a bit and I was like, no, it's completely told from her perspective because even when we get the flashbacks to the actual horrific crime that happened, which was the rape double murder, uh, it's actually being told from her imagining what happened from either what he was telling or not telling her and her dreams or her thoughts. If I picked up on it, it wasn't you know necessarily exactly how that happened it was her we were seeing into her mind of how she was envisioning it was i off on that or i think up until the very end scene the execution um which you know the one thing i'll one of the main things i'll give this film credit for is it does follow through with the title yeah (laughs) Uh, i mean it's not like other court movies where she's trying to, you know, he's an innocent man wrongly accused on death row. And at the end he gets, you know, his sentence commuted or whatever. And he's saved from lethal in, lethal injection. No, the whole point of this movie is he, he's going to die and he does. And I think the last, it's the most, it's the fullest depiction of the murder that we get. And I think that is from his perspective mm-hmm. because 
as he has con- finally confessed, like 20 minutes before he's dead, he confesses to everything that he did and asks for forgiveness. And then as he's you know being put to sleep, he's looking at her through the glass and she's got her arms reached out. And I think he is playing in his head. Like that's his full confession, almost like a spiritual component. Like sure. he's come clean to her, but in him finally allowing himself to think about what happened that night. It's like, I'm just coming clean to God. And I don't know if you caught this, but there's a beautiful moment where the camera is looking out from the witness booth. We've got the parents, the dead kids there and sister Helen is there. You see Sean Penn on this, the stretcher and he's dying and you see the very faint images of the, the two teens that he murdered in the glass. Did -hmm. you catch that? No, I missed that the first time. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's very faint. Um, and one of the interesting things is, is uh, Peter Sk- Peter Sarsgaard, who's a mm-hmm. who's become a big actor in the last couple of decades. He plays the the teenage boy who got murdered. I mean, I don't think he has any lines. Their their whole reason for being in the movie is just to like make out and then be horribly murdered. <laughs> yeah, it was his uh, first screen of a perf- uh, big screen performance uh, appearance. I think. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but so it's these nice little arts, artful touches. But yeah, you're right. A lot of the flashbacks are, I think, from Helen's perspective or, or what she imagines the because the, his story initially is he was so high on like acid and drugs and weed that he didn't know where he was or what he was doing. And we kind of get that from the early flashbacks. And you're like, oh, right. maybe this is what was really going on. But no, it was he was just that was a cover story. A lot of his personality is just bravado. Right. It, it's, he's trying to be more of a man than what he actually is. And, uh, just backtracking just a bit. It is actually in Louisiana. So yes, this very much could be in the Susan Sarandon cinematic universe. Say that three <laughs> times fast. Uh, the SSCU. We're, we're creating this, folks. <laughs> this is going to be a thing now. Su- the Susan Sarandon Cinematic Universe. Uh, it well, does- if, you, if you expand that out, because mm-hmm. Tim Robbins directed this movie, yeah. I believe they were married at the time, because I think they yep. met on Bull Durham in 88. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible that a member of the Susan Sarandon Cinematic Universe could be Howard the Duck. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> I think that checks out. I, I think that I think yeah. I think I'll, I'll draw the Vengrit diagram of that later, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll follow that path. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, she is wonderful as the sister Helen Prejean. Uh, and what I found interesting is with it being told mostly from her perspective. Not only do we not see how the outside world is actually reacting to what actually is a big case, mm-hmm. um, we're just seeing the impact of her actions on her life. I mean, as she is trying to do what she feels is her duty to help this individual, regardless of how horrific he might be, it's impacting her life. As you mentioned, she lives in the inner city. She's helping uh, those who are uh, may not get a break. She's she's helping, you know, uh, the uh, those who are um, less fortunate uh, because she herself actually comes from a, a rather rich family. Eh? And so she felt the calling to help those less fortunate. And so but those people 
that she's been helping start to kind of avoid her because of her work with Matthew. And I found that interesting. And that's something, you know, I almost wish this movie had been either an hour longer or kind of refocus some of the, the areas uh, that it decided to center on mm-hmm. because you're exactly right. The problem is that unrest, that, that feeling of, you know, unease or negativity, a lot of that comes out because um, Sean Penn's character gives a TV interview where he's spouting all sorts of like anti-government, white nationalist, Aryan brotherhood stuff. It turns out he's got at least two swastikas tattooed on his arm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're never quite sure how much of that he actually believes versus how much he was just sort of indoctrinated by, you know, family and culture growing up. But it does cause some unrest uh, in this you know, black community that uh, Sister Helen is, is um dealing with but we only find that out because her i think it was her white friend um yeah <laughs> uh, Mar- played by margo martindale says oh yeah some of the some of the, the locals are kind of upset that you're defending a white nationalist but uh, I, i'm still your friend yeah we, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's almost like the same thing with the client i mean this this movie has i think exactly one maybe black actor speaking role who kind mm-hmm. of interacts with Helen. It's one of the people working at the community center. And that's one more, I believe, than, I don't know, they had the parole officer uh, or the, the yeah, prison yeah. officer and the client, right? Yep. But it's still still that same kind of thing, like where the black people, and this is, you know, it's the mid-90s, so I don't think there was anything meant by it, especially since Tim Robbins was is a huge liberal. But it's almost like they're set dressing, like we yeah. want to set this story in the South and and have it sort of be about this racial divide, without actually giving agency to the people that we're trying to serve. Yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting. Although uh, I will say, because going into it, I didn't know much about it. I did fully expect for where it took place, and the character that immediately when you meet. Sean Penn's character you you could tell this guy is he's so so uh hits all the trope of a redneck from Louisiana you know <laughs> you know it, it, you just even before they did had his racial stuff out you you just some of the things he said you could tell that he was either trying to show that he was racial you know a racist or he actually was in any mm. case I thought for sure that the couple he was he had murdered or accused was going to be African-American and, and they weren't just because of the mid nineties and the way it was going. Plus it's Tim Robbins and you know, his feeling on it, you know, his uh, real life, like you said, extreme uh, left, uh, you know, protests had it had that, uh, you know, I just thought it was kind of going to go that way. So it surprised me when it wasn't in a good way. You know, I was glad they didn't at least fall into that kind of, um, you know, the, the cliche that it was, oh, look, you know, here we're doing this, uh, you know, we're addressing this issue as well, where it, uh, this film, and it, this is what I was kind of struggling with. I'm like sitting here going, one, I was surprised of how he actually presents both sides of the argument to capital punishment, again, because of Tim Robbins being who he is. Yeah. It, it, it surprised me that this film is actually very well balanced. And so by the end, you're kind of sitting there going, 
this film isn't telling me how I should feel. Yeah. Yeah, I I went on uh, Rotten Tomatoes afterwards just because mm-hmm. I was curious what people thought of the movie at the time. And uh, there's a couple of, I think there's only like five negative reviews. It was very well received. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone had said that, you know, Robbins doesn't commit to, you know, an ideology or doesn't come out on, on either side. So it's kind of a muddled message. And I appreciated that about mm-hmm. the movie. It's not, you know, there are some preachy elements to it. And some of the dialogue in this movie is weird stat dialogue. We've got <laughs> yeah. two people like, uh, you know, I think it was when Sister Helen was coming out of uh, like a survivors of, you know, horrible murders, families, <laughs> yeah. group session with uh, the father of one of the victims. And he said, you know, 70% of folks who lose a kid split up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, there was some of that dialogue in there, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of it. And and that's like the first half hour or so of this movie was honestly really rough going to me. I took tons of notes because everything from like the dodgy accents to Sean Penn's <laughs> ridiculous hair to the fact that it, it's, it's almost like too artsy for its own good because it's bad that I actually took the time to write this down but when susan sarandon goes to visit sean penn's mother in her like little rundown shack yeah you know like the broken car parts on the front lawn and the cinder blocks and and it's kind of run down you open she goes inside and it's like this immaculate kitchen everything's like shiny bright and clean and also susan sarandon's outfit with the pink shirt with the white jacket matches the pink curtains and the white countertops. It's like this production design all the hell moment. Like, what is this movie? It doesn't it doesn't really become a real film to me, I don't think, until we start getting those scenes where she's going to visit, you know, the the families of the people that that he killed. Right. And you get into this really deep emotional stuff, these tremendous one-on-one conversations. If this had just been a play of her talking to people in these little vignettes, it would have been a perfect movie. As it stands, I love the film, but it takes a while to get going. It it does take a while to get going, and you're absolutely right. It, it, once we get past those moments of uh, uh, messagey things, like you know, uh, you, you said the stats and the kind of uh, cliche things we'd seen in the past, you know, uh, addressing and rightfully so because it was an event. It's just one of those things where we've seen it a lot, where you know she's a female and all male. You know, the male priest is giving her shit because she's not wearing the habit anymore you know Uh, i'm like okay all right i see this okay you know i didn't have a problem with it but at the same time it's like you said with that dialogue it was like okay this is just this is a wee bit on the nose um (laughs) you know um i i did like the angle of her you know because uh, she, she her having to confront or her not realizing that she really should have been talking to the parents of the victims as well and those scenes i thought were really well done and you're right that's when the film really gets kind of into the meat of the story because you're presented with uh how people how couples have been known in in you know actual records and in real life the way people accept things differently you've got uh the one set of parents who the wife wants to move on. The dad can't. And so they, like you said, they end up splitting up, uh, getting a divorce. 
then you get the other two, uh, the other parents who are very bonded together, but they're fully on wanting to see this guy burn. And they're looking for their, they're looking for their recognition. They're, you know, someone to say, you know, cause you get that scene at the very end too, where, uh, he, you know, Sean Penn, we find out his character, Ponslet, uh, he actually killed the boy. And so just before he gets injected, he, uh, says he's sorry to the boy's parents. And the daughter's parent, the, the, the girl's parents go, well, what about us? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, damn. <laughs> I, right. Yeah. But it's not it's not recognition in the sense that I mean, there's there's one grandstanding uh, character. I think it's the governor who yeah. we meet, you know, very. And, and that's it's kind of a jokey moment where they're going to appeal to the governor and they're like, you know, he, he only agreed to do this because it's going to be a private conversation. Smash cut to they find themselves in the middle of a press conference, you know, and, hey, yeah, yeah, I get it. But <laughs> Um, with the parents, uh, Hope, she's the girl, uh, yeah. her parents played by Arlie Ermey in, in a role that I don't think I've seen him do, you know, since this, he's the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket and, and the Frighteners and all this stuff playing, a, an amazing oh, portrait yeah. of a torn up man. Yeah. Um, and then Celia Weston is his wife. Um, but they, they want that recognition just, it's, it's going to help them kind of mm-hmm. maybe start to heal they just don't want that that moment of regret to slip away where they couldn't just get him to admit what he'd done like sure. he's he's so stubborn that mm-hmm. they're worried that he's going to slip into the afterlife and he's got you know seconds left to live and they're like wait no no just come on you you gave them some you know, some recognition you gave them some closure what about us it's a natural right. thing um and but yeah talking about that scene and also the scene where you know Sister Helen visits uh, the dad, um, the boy's dad, and he's just talking about, yeah, he he bumped his head or he he broke his arm, you know, on that chair or, or yeah. he hit his head, hit his chin on that couch. It's just all of that stuff. He he's the guy who said that those memories are just kind of like frozen now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of all that they have left. It's a beautiful sentiment. Again, I'm watching this movie, you know, two and a half decades on. Now I'm a, a parent thinking about, you know, my kids. And half those tears I think I was crying was because I'm like, God damn, it's, you know, (laughs) your kids can walk out of the house and just never come back. And even though that hasn't happened to me, Tim Robbins in adapting this book makes it feel as if it is, which is not manipulation. It's Mm. empathic filmmaking. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. It is empathic filmmaking. That scene with the father pulled at me, too, being being a parent and it's performed so well because you just feel this guy's pain, you know, but his, his acceptance, but at the same time, not exactly wanting to let go. He's afraid to altogether. And we never actually, I don't think we ever act. We do see his wife, but we never see the sister actually interact with her. I don't think Uh, we only get to see her. We never actually hear her side of it. We only see the, the dad's side who uh is this guy who yeah he's struggling with this and he's the one who we actually see at the very end who actually shows up at the funeral for the killer of his son because that's Mm -hmm. the way he needed the closure and yeah uh, uh the the parents of the 
the girl were looking for closure by getting him to admit it, which he didn't because he didn't actually kill her, though he did do other mean and cruel things to her. Um, yeah. You know, and so I could see, but it, it was a very interesting way to explore how different people are looking for closure with something as horrific as this happening in their lives. But again, and it, it surprised me. It, it really, I'm telling you, I got to the edit, I was just so surprised. I'm like, he still left it for you to decide how you feel about both the capital punishment angle, the the characters, was the sister right, the parents, everything. He kind of leaves it to you. He's presented all of this, and, and we got preaching in the beginning but by the end of it i'm like huh that's <laughs> you know because i didn't expect i was fully on with the subject matter him going capital punishment is bad here's how awful it is but with sister with the sister interviewing not just the parents but she talks to a guard who mm-hmm. who's who's in charge of strapping down the the death row inmates and he talks about how it's his job you know it, it bugs him he talks about how he doesn't sleep at night on those nights, but at the same time, it's just his job. And he doesn't really pass judgment on the people he's strapping down. That's just his thing. And then you have the nurse she talks to who does the injections, who seems to take a little bit of joy in injecting the death row inmates. <laughs> Was that just me, or did she? does she seem like she kind of... She feels like she's at, you know, enacting some justice by doing it versus the guard who just straps down a leg. I mean, it's, it's entirely possible. I mean, that the thing about the the guard, you know, his, um, you know, thing about how it's just a job, but he doesn't sleep on the nights he has to do the execution. There's so much to dig into there. Yeah. Like, is it just because he's never had someone to talk to to ask him like do you ever think there's a disconnect there maybe it's not really a just a job to you and and maybe we need to dig into mm-hmm. you know are you actually hurting is this <laughs> healthy for you to be doing um but yeah i i love that one of the last things uh one of the last lines in the movie is it's not faith i wish it was that easy it's work mm-hmm. it's just it comes you know you could say that about the death penalty or, or any big issue you know are you pro-death penalty or anti-death penalty are you pro-second amendment or anti it's like well maybe i'm just somewhere in between trying to work all this stuff out and why do i need to give anybody an answer you know it's a a deeply personal issue that you know people are evolving on um i think a movie like this you're right we get tim robbins what we think is his perspective at the beginning of the film but at the end it's almost like opening a conversation like here's what i believe here's this person's story. So what do you think? And you're yeah. at the end going like, I, I, I don't know. Is, is that okay that I don't know? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it is. I think that's his whole point is that the, the point of the film. And again, uh, just through me was he's showing that the topic isn't black and white. It isn't, pro death penalty or debt it's justified or not it should work or it should you know uh you get so many different sides of or perspectives on the subject matter uh that it it really i really appreciated the film that way because you're like well how do we how does he really want us to feel about uh this 
this guy on death row. I mean, like you said, fully, are we going to get the last minute governor, you know, <laughs> phone call just before the plunger goes in? Or is the plunger going to go in and then we get the phone call? But, oh, you know, yeah. but it's too late. Um, but it's not. He is a bad individual. He did do a bad thing. And justice should be served. And you go through this entire film seeing how different people feel about the, the capital punishment. And even the sister struggles a bit with it, wondering, questioning, should she even be doing this? Because, yeah, by all rights, this guy is just, he's a, you know, she sees the perspective. Though I did laugh at saying this is the one that she got her Academy Award for where she doesn't say much and she just cries a lot. Um <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, she she does have, you know, some meaty oh, moments yeah. in it. I mean, yeah. and again, much like with the client, we do get a lot of, you know, eyeball acting from mm. Susan Strandon, but she can act the hell out of a, a moment just by just by being expressive. Um, one of the things I think is so fascinating about this is the Ponsolet character. We get scenes with him and his family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's got like, I think three younger brothers of varying ages and then, uh, the mother and he's trying to be a good older brother and it appears that he is. And it's because the other people in his family from what we, the bits we see of them, they're not, you know, going out and raping people or mm-hmm. they're not overtly racist. Uh, I, it's almost like. He's the black sheep older brother that set the horrible tone for everybody else. Um, and he realizes that he's kind of a dirtbag, but he doesn't want that for the other people in his family. So that's a dimension that we don't usually get when we're talking about people like, uh, you know, people who've committed horrible crimes. You know, they are people and people are complicated and messy. And maybe something good can come out of this, even if it's like, yeah, as far as the family goes, we're not going to have any more like uh, <laughs> like like our older brother. We're just not going to talk about him anymore. We're going to move on. And right. you know, Matthew was the bad apple, but we've got three other chances, and they look like they're going to be okay. Yeah, one's going to go on to be a comedian and singer. Uh, <laughs> yes. the, the young Jack Black showing up surprised the hell out of me. I'm like, is that holy crap? It is. And Clancy Brown's cameo as a as a cop that pulls over the sister for speeding. I, mm-hmm. I loved seeing him in here, but um, yeah, it was it was. I liked that he showed that you can have a person who's done a horrible thing like this come from a lack of a better term. I apologize, but a normal family. A it's not the most stable. He he did have a bad. He, you know, he had a father who we find out. You know. Um, did some things, but at the same time, like you said, his mom, his brothers, all are good people. They're just trying to live. They've got this, uh, black sheep in their family. And we find out the impact of his actions on the family too. Cause the mom talks to the sister about how they get death threats, how, uh, the kids get bullied at school. They had a dead rat thrown in their locker once. You know, mm-hmm. even though they weren't the ones that did the act, just by the fact that they were associated with this person who did the bad thing. And I liked that because it showed the impact. Because a lot of times you just get the perspective of the impact of the criminal and then 
the victim's parents or the vic, you know, those around the victim, and you get those two sides. Well, now you see that no, his family is also impacted by his actions, and the mom still loves him, but at the same time, fully understands why he's on death row, and in many respects, feels he deserves at least to be locked up. You know, she doesn't want him dead, of course, because it's her son, but. I got the impression she fully understands why he was locked up. It's not like she's in denial. Right. Um, there is, you know, kind of like we talked about with some of the, uh, the lack of dimension in the African-American characters. Uh, I almost wish there was some more uh, balance in terms of what was um, my, Matthew's life, like mm-hmm. his, the people he hung around with, aside from the one guy who he had mentioned uh, he was an older guy and kind of, you know, he knew he was bad news, but he hung around with him anyway because he was either bored or afraid. But was there were there people that he interacted with on the outside? I mean, there had to be if he's claiming Aryan Brotherhood. We never see any of those kinds of characters. We never get the idea of this bad influence that kind of turned him rotten or even he mentions he's got a problem with with black people because they were you know all bad news growing up around him we just see them the the family living in this kind of isolated little like shack house there's no sense of community it's all very isolated that's why i think if there'd been more for lack of a better term color or dimension in terms the community that produced these people that produced this horrible result it would have been would have given a bit of a fuller picture yeah you, it was missing there uh you're right this film could have almost been another hour but at the same time i think what tim robbins was trying to go for is just just keeping it in all honesty and it sounds weird to mention it when you're talking about a sister a lady of the cloth keeping things intimate between the sister and the convict uh Mm -hmm. you know focusing on them and not the the as much things around the situation uh, which, again, different approach to this type of material because usually you'd get the big – and you mentioned Aryan Nation. I fully admit, you know, waiting to see the news footage of the Aryan Brotherhood or whatever, you know, protesting, coming to his defense or whatnot. But you don't see any of that ever. You just get his uh, interview and his story and you get sister's story and you don't get a lot of the news reports and a lot of things going on outside of this bubble of these two people. Um, and it, it would have been nice to get the dimension, but at the same time, I think he was trying to keep it intimate. Yeah. And I, I but I think there was room there. Like mm-hmm. we we're talking about the, the stats dialogue. I mean, there was that one <laughs> scene where that went on for, I swear five minutes where the one attorney, I think it was at the, the hearing where they were trying to figure out if he was gonna, if they could have some kind of an appeal or whatever. It's an earlier scene, but this attorney gets up and he starts rattling off the history of capital punishment and then going into detail <laughs> about how lethal injection works. I'm like, okay, A, this is your political thesis statement and B, you're setting it up so the dumb people in the audience who are like, what's lethal injection? They understand what's going to be <laughs> happening yes. later on, even though we see it. It's like, you could have had you know, two scenes worth of good context in mm. the middle of this speechifying <laughs> no it it was definitely let's educate the user scene uh it felt a little <laughs> bit like i'm like really really we, but again it's early on and this is tim robbins second film that he's directing and yeah so we'll you know it, it it is uh but yeah it was very it was very here 
look, I'm surprised he didn't draw a diagram. It's just a jump to the left <laughs> and then a step to the right. Uh, <laughs> it was that type of moment. And it was like, okay, but again, when we get past all this, uh, that first half hour, so it, it really gets its feet underneath it. And, and yeah, I would have loved to see even more explored with it. Uh, but there is a lot to that they pull in here, including, like I said, it, it's an interesting thing the way he directs it because um, between the sister and Matthew, they, they tend to get a little closer as they talk to each other as the film goes along to the point where they have them like within inches of each other talking through this glass just before he it, like the day before his death wrote before he's put to death mm -hmm. and they're close enough that it's so intimate i'm like is he implying a little because matthew did make some sexual comments about the sister because she's female and he's a prisoner so you're gonna i guess get that uh but there's just this weird kind of almost tension between these two characters when they're sitting talking very close because he can't hear what she's saying all the time or she can't hear what he's saying all the time so they just get right. closer and that was just an odd scene near the end and i'm like are you kind of implying like these two you know not that it's going to be there but it, it they're similar you know it's like a parallel to a relationship between uh, yeah i mean i think i think that scene and also the scene later uh, where he is like 20 minutes away from being executed where she's like practically sticking her face between the bars yes um, to talk they get they keep getting closer um, as they get closer in terms of human connection I don't think it's anything sexual mm -hmm. um, because we get a lot of that early on where he's just kind of <laughs> but it's it's almost like a defense mechanism right. like he's trying to gross her out to the point where she's either just going to leave or she's going to stick around he's testing her mm -hmm. um, and it's it's great but I think you know as they get uh, more intimate and get closer it's like the closer they want to get mm -hmm. the least uh, th that's they can't get any closer because oh there's this you know thick glass between them there's metal bars right. it's not until she's walking him down death row where she can put her hand on his shoulder and it's just such an impactful moment because they've been apart so long right um i think it's and they've kind of talked about this in the movie. It's more of a spiritual mm -hmm. intimacy. There's more than one way to be intimate with someone. So, yeah, I, th I think that really works. And you know, just as a personal thing, when she's singing um, that hymn to him, <laughs> that sounds strange. Um, yeah. She sings uh, "Be Not Afraid," yeah. which you know, I was uh, I grew up Catholic. I was an altar boy, and that mm -hmm. is my favorite spirit. My favorite hymn. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I just I completely lost it because uh, it's such a beautiful moment because it's about basically God saying, you know, or Jesus, if you believe in me, you know, I'll, I'll go before you always. You have nothing to be afraid of. And that's she sings that to him right as she's walking with him, you know, to mm -hmm. be executed. She's not God, of course, but she is the embodiment of love in his life, which he's never experienced before. As, as as well as shrimp somehow that's his final <laughs> meal um but it's just like it's it underscores the idea that this guy's like 36 years old and this is the first time he's ever felt that someone loved him or even came close to understanding him it's just it's wonderful 
it's a great moment. It's after he owns up to it of what he actually did, uh, you know, and yeah, it, it is a really solid moment. She sings it a lot better than she plays off that she could sing it because <laughs> she <laughs> sings it uh, just fine. It, I thought it was an appropriate choice and it was very fitting um, with it. And yeah, you get these moments. I, we mentioned early on when he had the defense mechanism for the, uh, um, you know, being more sexual just because she's female, either pushing her away or, you know, he's very afraid of getting close to her or anyone, in fact, because if he does, I think then that means that what he did was really bad because it, at mm. least when we meet in the beginning, you get he's always claiming his innocence. Oh, I was on drugs. I was doing this, you know, I using these kind of excuses in the defense. And I think part of that, too, was if he shows emotion, if he lets himself actually feel something, uh, even a kindred you know, a connection with this person. Well, then that starts making him feel like crap because now he's got some empathy and holy crap, man, did I do a horrible thing, which we don't get till the very end. Uh, and I think that's why he pushes her away. Uh, well, you know. I mean, that's, that's a great point. I hadn't really thought of that, about that. And I just wonder how much that psychology might play in a real world situation with people who are on death row or serving very long sentences. You know, you always hear people talking about maintaining their innocence, even if the evidence suggests heavily that they did it. You almost kind of have to convince yourself that you didn't do anything wrong because otherwise you do have to sit with that knowledge uh, for, you know, seven, 10, 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Before you're actually <laughs> you know, put to death. Yeah. Right. So it's like if you can convince yourself that, you know, it's it's the man or it's the system, like you don't have to do that that introspective uh, introspection. You can have an outward enemy uh, that's kind of faceless instead of realizing that you have to sit with yourself and be like, wow, I'm 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 in a box just with my own guilt forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's why I think he came up with that, although it leads to a. F an early scene, it's probably part of the scenes why she got her Academy Award finally. It was one of those where, just give me the damn statue already. Um, <laughs> it's a wonderful scene that actually could fit today with debates online about things. You, yeah. you, you know which conversation I'm talking about where he talks about, he, he uses a derogatory comment about African Americans and, and how his feelings... And she spins the argument back at him so well, he has to just drop it because he's like, oh, um, <laughs> because everything that he came up with of why he didn't like people of color, she spins around and goes, yeah, but you're doing this. Yeah, but you're doing the same thing. You're doing. And all of a sudden, he's just like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. He's like. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's a nuanced debate and yeah. this is one of those moments where it does feel almost like Tim Robbins is sitting, I don't know, I haven't read the book, but right. it almost feels like he's sitting out, you know, having this imaginary conversation that he would love to have with someone who opposes <laughs> him, uh -huh. almost like, like a salon forum, you know, yeah. something like that, uh, and he just worked in a dialogue. So it's kind of annoying in that respect, but it's revelatory in that 
you know, you're right. These conversations are going. I mean, right now, Minneapolis is on fire yeah. uh, because of a racial incident. Um, and people are having these conversations, or at least they want to. The conversation is so walled off in a lot of respects that if you even bring up a counterpoint, you get you know, blocked as either someone <laughs> who doesn't understand or you're a bigot or whatever. Right. Um, so I did like the fact that we got to see two people actually hashing it out on screen. And I was surprised by how relevant, I mean, this could have happened in a, a court drama or a prison drama today, and it mm-hmm. would not have felt 25 years old, sadly. Yeah, it, it is sad. At the same time, it shows that this film, how well they did tell the story, because it, it, in one hand, they tell it so well that it doesn't feel dated. At the same time, it's sad that the same topics, what, uh, 25 years ago, are still hot topics that aren't resolved or have some kind of easy, you know, we don't have worked out yet in society today. Uh, You know, this is one of those films where the reason it doesn't age is unfortunately because those topics that are addressed in Dead Men Walking are still being debated today. And it just makes you wonder, like, is there, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but... Is there a solution? I mean, because if there's not, like if we're still having these conversations 25 years from now, at what point do you say, all right, we're just not going to talk about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it it leads to nothing. <laughs> so either that's going to lead to, you know, a bunch of like mini civil wars breaking out about not just this, but like every topic, like abortion right. and Second Amendment yeah. and all that stuff like Everyone's just constantly batting heads for decades and centuries. We're all just going to go into our little boxes, which, you know, right now we're kind of getting some experience (laughs) with, unfortunately. Um, But, yeah, it's – I don't want to think too much about it, but it does, like – I'm watching this thinking, wow, this this is really relevant to 2020. Oh, wait, this is a quarter century ago this movie came out. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Yeah, this wasn't made yesterday, unfortunately. No, but these topics seem – all too familiar. Yeah. Um, actually, even more so now because we have people who jump to so much absolutes. Mm-hmm. One of the things that this film does, it, for lack of a better term, and I may be way off because, again, uh, a, a pool out of a puddle, but it feels like it does show some compromise in that it's okay to feel this way but also have a little bit of feeling this way. You don't have to necessarily be all one side or all, all the other. It, I think this film kind of shows there's a bit of a gray area where it is okay to feel kind of both these ways, it, you know, have a little bit of this because it, it's just human, you know, it, it's to get an understanding of the other side regardless of, how horrible it might be you you still get you know you know what i'm saying is that is that it's it's not showing it's just well you're right i'm wrong right because again there's i feel like if any of these issues were you know, right and wrong issues, we would have solved them a long time ago. Someone <laughs> yeah. would have come along and said, yeah, okay, it's definitive. You know, here's the science. Here's the data. We're just going to put on, you know, the new Ten Commandments. It'll be the Eleventh Commandment, and, <laughs> and we just, we've got it solved. But it's, let's take like an issue like abortion. I mean, yeah. personally, I am 
uh, I always tell people, whoever asks mm-hmm. me, you know, I am uh, pro-life, mm-hmm. but I am also pro-choice. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, mm-hmm. I hate the idea of abortion. I think it's disgusting, but I also would not stand in someone's way if they felt that was the choice they need to make. Now that opens up all sorts of, you know, moral <laughs> arguments like, you know, how can you be for killing, you know, right. babies yeah. if you believe a life is sacred? I'm like, well, because I've never had to be in that position before. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there are, you know, contrary to some opinions, I, I don't think there are people out there, you know, cheerfully going like, this is going to be a great afternoon, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So it and that's and that doesn't make me, you know, a great person or an awful person, it just makes me a person that, mm-hmm. you know, these are very personal decisions that we have to make. And the same thing with the death penalty. I don't know that I could pull that lever, but I also don't know that we need to have people who are going to be doing that out in society or living off the taxpayer dime. It's a very complicated <laughs> subject. Right. And you're, you're right. It's the reason why we're still discussing them today, because they are complicated subjects. There's no easy answer. And the problem, the reason there's no easy answer is because for every argument you make, there are examples for the counter argument. And for something like abortion, something like, uh, you know, the death penalty, or, you know, even even right to bear arms, all of these mm-hmm. hot topics today. People are looking for a definitive, this is the way it should be. And they're not topics where you can have that. You need, and it's even harder today than it is, I'd say, when this film was made. And maybe not. I, I could be just my blindness to it or, or un, uh, lack of knowledge. But you have to find the middle ground. And people aren't comfortable with middle ground because they feel like they're giving something up, I think, if they get to the middle ground. And on both sides, I'm not saying one side or the other. I'm saying it, you look at the debates, especially online today, about stuff like this. There, there, It's this and this, and then eventually it'll devolve into personal attacks, and then the admin deletes the whole thread, and mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> you know, because... We have it now, especially to where there's only this side and this side. You can't be in the middle. If you're in the middle, you're being indecisive, which isn't exactly always the case. It's right. like you said with the abortion uh, topic for you, you personally don't believe in it. You, you, you believe in pro-life. But at the same time, if you saw someone or knew someone who had one, you wouldn't go say, well, you're a, sub- you're, you're a servant of the devil and you need to burn in the fiery pits of the eighth ring of hell. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Because like you said, you weren't in that situation. You're not, you know, you, you're understanding. You're not, no, it's not something you would do. But at the same time, you understand at least that the person made that decision. It's one they have to live with. And you're absolutely right. I don't think anyone is skipping down the lane to have this decision made that they make you know which some people seem to think they people who who have made that decision of having an abortion that they did that or the death penalty oh you just want bloodshed you just want to you just want to kill someone so you're no better than the person who did the murder well yes and no uh (laughs) you know (laughs) you, you know and yeah they are complicated topics and it's why Things are kind of the way they are today, even maybe worse than they were 25 years ago, because 
so many loud voices on either side and people don't want to budge or even consider an alternative and any time someone comes up with a counter argument or just something that might question what they truly believe in they will immediately reject it and they find enough people online to support their rejection of it so therefore they don't have to think and compromise and coming back to dead men walking this is a film that's showing you that it isn't just this side or that it isn't pro death penalty or not pro death penalty it it's kind of in the middle you know i mean it's yes I, this guy deserves to be punished for his crimes for sure and it looks like he may do it again you're not sure but okay i can understand why he would get the death penalty but at the same time you're like it is a human being uh <laughs> and, and you know do we have the right to make you know make that judgment um so yeah they're complicated it's- yeah and and i think you know talking about the the difference in the eras i mean like i don't know if this movie or a movie like american history x mm-hmm. uh, which came out like four years after this if those could be <clears throat> made or released today and if they were i could just see like half the audience just like turning it off the moment Sean Penn drops his first N-bomb, mm-hmm. uh, you know, saying right. this movie is disgusting and it's full of hate. And it's, you know, it's dangerous and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. And instead of sticking around for the next hour and a half and finding out that it's got some redemption arc and even a percentage of that audience is like, well, good, because he hated people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm glad he fried. He should have fried instead of got some chemical yeah, con- cocktail. He should have burned. Right. Yeah, or you know, or even worse, like being canceled on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's I, I I think it's a refreshing movie because as much as I rag on it for having this stats dialogue and it's kind of the kind of the cheesy like yeah you're on your soapbox Tim Robbins I do like that we are getting some you know honest conversations from two very strong points of view from a movie that does have. You know, the courage of its convictions only in that it's not afraid to show that there is another side to that argument. There, mm-hmm. There's so much entertainment and news today that is just polemics. It's like, you know, this is what's true. There, Don't listen. Don't bother listening <laughs> to the other side. It's all fake news and misinformation. And it's like, well, I no, <laughs> it's not. Let, let me no, not to bring up Fox News and say, you know, we report, you decide. But it is kind of that thing. Like I am a grown person. I can watch news from multiple sources or movies from multiple perspectives and pair that with my own experience, mm-hmm. my own convictions, and come away with a conclusion. I don't need you to tell me not to go looking somewhere else, because that's a guarantee I'm going to go looking <laughs> at what you don't want <laughs> me to see. <laughs> right, and uh, that's what I think makes this film work, is the fact that given who's making it, and I, if you grew up in the 90s for sure, you know Tim Robbins, Susan Strandon were the activist celebrities. I mean, they mm-hmm. were like, they're they're there for you know (laughs) in the spotlight uh, using their stardom to to bring up uh topics in real life and in here i was surprised at once the film got past its first 20 minutes half hour how balanced it actually was and at the end i didn't feel like i was getting hit over the head with the message like some films similar to this uh would go you know i mean 
for lack of a better term, an animated film, Fern Gully, slapping you over the head. Pollution <laughs> is bad. No crap, you know. But, yeah. Or I mean, but we've seen other crime dramas and stuff to where they lean very heavily to the perspective of the filmmaker, where they're just slapping you in the face with the message continuously throughout the film, going, "Nope, they're bad. We're good. This is it. This is that." And here Tim Robbins is like, well, okay, this is how I feel. I'm going to say it in the beginning, but here's the other side. Oh, yeah, here's three other perspectives of people who aren't even involved in this. How do they feel? And, you know, what's the impact of uh, Pre-Jean's decision, how that's impacting the people around her and the decision of Del- uh, of um, uh, Matthew, uh, his decision, how that impacted the people around him. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of parallels going on in here and a lot of things that are left to the audience. And, yeah, it, it's it's refreshing. You, you use the right term because a lot of times nowadays films like this are dictating how you should think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's it's really annoying. But, uh... <laughs> you know, and no, no effect, offense to it, but uh, a God's not dead type of films. Uh, those are only going to appeal to the choir that you're already, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, because he, the, the minute you start vilifying the other side right away or say they're just completely wrong, you're going to turn off the people you're trying to convince about your argument. Well, I mean, another example, and, and I have not seen this, mm-hmm. um, but there's been a story very recently about uh, Michael Moore's uh, latest documentary about uh, green energy. Uh-huh. It's being it's it is being censored and attacked by the left because in this documentary, apparently, I've read about, it, I haven't watched it. Uh, he's talking about you know it's not all like you know people think about Michael Moore making green energy doctor like, oh, this is great. You know, he's going to do for green energy what he did for like gun control and bowling for Columbine, like pro green energy. It's like, no, there's some real problems with it. And there's some unsavory characters and agendas behind this. People don't want to hear that. The target audience right. is pissed off because they're like, wait, wh- what is what you're criticizing this thing that we love? And so they're attacking it, which is, um, you know, kind of what we're talking about. Instead of, you know, being able to come out with something that's nuanced and perhaps not even negative, but just offering a side that people who kind of blindly fall into this stuff might need to consider to form a better opinion. They're like, no, I don't want to hear it. You know, you're, you're crazy. You're, you're become a right wing lunatic, Michael Moore. <laughs> like, <laughs> pretty sure that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, Mike, I'm, Mike Moore would have to come out with something far more than a biting commentary on the poss- you know, the, the possible downfalls of green energy. He'd have to come up with a lot more than that before I would even remotely think of him <laughs> as any type of side uh, uh, leading to the right i mean he would really have to, no 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 <laughs> donald no. trump appoints him as communications <laughs> director for a second term <laughs> hell even then maybe not you know i mean it, it, this is mike moore you know yeah it's probably oh no it's, he's just doing it as an inside job yeah <laughs> right yeah the, the deep state he's part of the yeah. actual deep state um <laughs> more like the, the deep fried state deep, deep no fried. um <laughs> Sorry. No offense to Michael Moore. Um, <laughs> oh. uh, but, yeah, it's, you know, I, I, wrap it up here. Uh, it is a film that 
in all honesty, and this, this isn't me a get off my lawn, it's just because of the culture that we have now, especially thanks to the spawn of internet and debates and such, is a film we don't quite get that often because a lot of films like this nowadays, if someone's going to touch a topic like this at all, um, which, you know, studios are just going to try to usually avoid anyway, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> it doesn't give you a defined left or right or whatever feeling you're supposed to have at the end of it. It doesn't hold your hand and say, okay, this is how you should think now. <laughs> Like a lot of films that do get made on topics like this do nowadays because, you know, they think that's what audiences want or need. And unfortunately, you know, modern audiences may actually want or or need to be told, you know, what to <laughs> what to feel True. and how to feel because of the, you know, again, I'll, I'll join you on that lawn uh, or, or telling people to get off of it. You know, in the Internet age, there are so many different perspectives and, you know, fact checking and alternate mm -hmm. fact checking and alternate alternate fact checking that you don't know exactly what to believe. So if someone comes along, especially with a piece of palatable entertainment that says, Here's a perspective that we really believe in. We think you will too. You're like, oh well, yeah. That's walking me through it and holding my hand, and now I don't need to think that much. So it sounds good to me. Um, <laughs> and I've fallen victim to that too. I'm not mm -hmm. trying to say I'm above anybody. Oh but, no, I've, I've, yeah, done, I, I've done the same thing on some films too, where I've come out of it and go, oh okay, and then later on I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> right. So, but so, yeah, I can't get too down on, on people or even filmmakers. Uh, it's just, it's an unfortunate thing, but I am at least glad that we have something we can look back on and say, you know, if you've got someone who is thinking about this death penalty issue, you can show them a movie from 25 years ago and it'll be just as relevant as far as the ideas that are presented as they are now. And you'll get that, you know, A, B, C, D, E argument instead mm -hmm. of just like, it's a yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh you know in documentaries it's 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 kind of handled that way in storytelling for documentary uh the good documentaries i think uh don't try to give you the agenda they just present what they're documenting and let you draw your conclusion that's mm -hmm. why mike moore yes he makes documentaries but they're definitely presenting he presents a lot more things leaning usually towards his belief and not necessarily a, a, a balanced argument. Whereas right. you get a, uh, a documentary like Jesus camp. I don't know if you ever mm. saw Jesus. Camp. Oh, I saw that multiple times in the theater when I was love. <laughs> it was, I, I, I think it was 2006. I remember for mm -hmm. years I said that was the best horror movie of 2006. <laughs> It was scary, but what I liked about it, and it's something I noticed with it outside of most documentaries, in that it pre they, they went to this place, and they showed you the footage. And yes, of course, they showed you some of the more extreme footage, but at the same time, you don't get the filmmaker interjecting going, well, we did this, and we visited, check this out, or some text saying, here's what happened here. You know, you only get right. a little at the beginning, but that documentary just presented these people and I, i'm not saying it wasn't fully uh neutral but it still was there was no narrative from the filmmaker as far as uh text or them being on screen or whatnot like a mike moore documentary it was just showing you they went out here and they shot these people doing this 
and look. And I think that's what made it even scarier was the fact that they didn't have to spin it at all. They you get long full takes of the, this isn't edited. This is this little kid preaching this, and it's like holy crap. I was just gonna say that about the the long takes and those long interview segments, like with Ted Haggard. Mm-hmm. I mean, they knew they were on camera. They agreed to be <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, it's almost it, it almost doesn't matter if the filmmakers were going to put this into a mic, you know, chop it up into a Michael Moore style thing. These folks agreed to share their perspectives and they're proud of it or they were at the time and they wanted to share their message with the world. So they probably figured, well, whatever this is going to end up packaged as, at right. least there will be people seeing me say what I believe. And they might think I'm crazy or we might get some converts, <laughs> but here it is. Right. And that's, you know, I guess my point was that's kind of like dead men walking. Yeah, we get it yeah. in the beginning, but at the end, it's just like, here's the situation. This is what the situation was. You draw your conclusion from what your experience and beliefs are. And that's why I think it 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 does make it a solid film. Not a type of film I'd watch often because it's not exactly... I'm sorry, it's not exactly an uplifting film by any means, uh, but it is an important one, I think. Yeah, and, you know, it. there is a genre connection. Um, the, uh, whatchamacallit, the chaplain uh, uh-huh. that Sister Helen Prejean talks to who advises her to wear the habit, that's Scott Wilson uh, of The Walking Dead. Of The Walking Dead, so yes, yes. The, the dead men walking dead. There you go. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I could, I couldn't resist. I <laughs> no, that's great because like uh, you know, there, there's a cut scene where Sean Penn dies on the table and then he fucking comes back. <laughs> yeah, that's that was a scene hit the cutting room floor. They're like, no, Tim, you're not, you're not in J- Jacob's ladder. No, we can't do that. <laughs> Tim, we can't, we can't. Yeah, but then he gets up and then he bites this person. And then suddenly, no, no, Tim. <laughs> oh, uh, I want to see that movie. Now. <laughs> now we want to see Susan Sarandon take on zombies in Dead Men Walking Dead. <laughs> Definitely want to see that movie now. <laughs> they could even get Jack Black back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he'll kill all the zombies with the power of his rock and roll that's right he'll he'll make their heads explode with the power of his rock and roll and be forced to kill his brother and suddenly become the daryl of the movie um <laughs> but we digress <laughs> wow so i think final thought uh, for me is yeah watch this film it's still relevant today and it does not feel dated, and and you'll see why Susan Sarandon got the Academy Award, why Tim Robbins got the nomination just for his second film for an Academy Award. Didn't win, but he did get the nomination. Uh, and I'm not a big Sean Penn fan, I will admit it, uh, but I did like him in this, though I just I have a hard time with Sean Penn. But um, yeah, I mean, I I liked him in this movie a lot. It's one of those weird things where. It feels like his I, – I don't know if they shot this movie sequentially. Most movies are shot kind of out of sequence. Right. But it felt like at the beginning of the movie, he was still trying to figure out his accent. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot yes. of the actors in this film. <laughs> but by the end, I don't know if it was just because I was so absorbed in the character or maybe he just got better. But I bought it more towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm there with you on Sean Penn. He's kind of hit or miss for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely am glad I watched this for a second time. Again, it was like watching it for the first time. 
for those out there with Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. It's mm-hmm. a great two hours. Not the most uplifting two hours, but very eye-opening. Yeah, and I'm definitely, if you're watching it with a group, uh, give you uh, some things to talk about for sure by the end of it. So, Yes, and possibly destroy some friendships, so be very careful. <laughs> possibly. Nowadays, yeah, possibly destroy <laughs> some friendships or at least force those people to click the unfriend button you know the the ever you know nail in the coffin unfriend button so (laughs) there you have it folks hope this sparked your interest in the film uh there's still a lot to digest so uh yeah enjoyed our conversation always fun ian to talk films with you and now this is your chance to get the license to shill please shill away and let my wonderful listeners know where they can find your stuff at well, thank you. Uh, you can find me at kickseat.com. That's the homepage of Kicking the Seat. Uh, I do a podcast multiple times a week. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, Kicking the Seat, and you can find me on iTunes and uh, Stitcher and possibly soon Spotify because I want to get some of that sweet Joe Rogan action. Um, <laughs> I only need like several million more listeners to get there, but you know, who knows? You, you never know. You never know, <laughs> depending on, especially if there's spikes in, in the COVID and people are forced to, to stay at home, they may find your podcast and, and you'll suddenly become the, the film equivalent of that as far as popularity. Uh, oh, thanks. It's yeah. only going to take a pandemic to get people to listen to my show. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> it's it's going to take, take more than that to get people to listen to this show. So, hey, you know, that <laughs> was a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. You're, you're welcome, I, I think. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, now I think we'll just say a good night, everyone. Good night. Hey, all my friends out there looking for more Spoiler Room goodness? Then why don't you check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to exclusive Spoiler Room episodes and a whole lot more. You can also find us on Facebook groups at SMPRD and on to Twitter at SpecialMarkPro. Let your voice be heard and let us know what you would like to see in the Spoiler Room, as well as just how we're doing in general. We appreciate your support, and remember in the Spoiler Room, the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies.